So today we're continuing our four-part teaching series that we call uh, the Simple Series. And in this series, we're describing and explaining in some detail that model of ministry that we are presently pursuing at Holy Cross Church. A model of ministry that's designed to help us be more authentic disciples of Jesus Christ and to help us help others be more authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. Indeed, being disciples of Jesus Christ and helping others to do the same is at the heart of the church's mission. In fact, it was Jesus himself who called us to this task. And so we read in Matthew chapter 28 and beginning at verse 18, Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so, go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so since this is what Jesus wants us to be and do, to be disciples and to make disciples, at Holy Cross we're attempting this simple purpose as the primary focus of what we do in all of the settings in which we find ourselves. And the process for accomplishing this simple purpose is as simple as the purpose itself. In fact, we've created this um, visual, if you like, to help see how it works. <laughs> and there's four steps. And the first step is to worship God regularly. The second step is to grow together faithfully. The third step is to serve others lovingly. And the fourth step is to mature in Christ continuously. And if you notice in the, in the visual there, that you start at the bottom left, and you, which is the first step, then you take it to the second step, and then you go to the third step, and then the fourth step is in the middle, and you notice that as you're doing the fourth step, you go through it into the first step again. Because the steps continue. You don't get to the, well, the last step is maturing in Christ continuously, and that is a process. It's not, well, now I've done step four, and I'm mature in Christ. It never happens that way. But, that's, but step one helps us start somewhere, and step two helps us to continue. And we just keep doing it again. Step one, step two, step three, step four. Step one, step two, step three, step four. And today we're talking about the third step, and that is serve others lovingly. Indeed, according to Jesus, serving others lovingly is what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you, do you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if you do, that's great. But the thing to remember is that you can't be a true disciple of Jesus Christ without engaging in loving service to others. Indeed, engaging in loving service to others, to those who are in the church, to those who are beyond the church is essential to true and authentic discipleship. Indeed, true and authentic discipleship isn't something that you can audit. Are you familiar with that term? If you've ever gone to 
college, you know, there's, a, there's an audit option from auditory, which means you pay a lower price and you're allowed to go and sit and listen. That's how some people do church. They just come and sit and listen. But true discipleship isn't something you can just audit. True discipleship isn't just something that you can listen to. It, you have to do the work that's talked about when you're listening. And when it comes to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, it's Jesus himself that's the model. This is so important and is often missed. And when we fail, somebody will say, well, you know, I'm not Jesus Christ, <laughs> but you're called to be. <laughs> and so that's not an excuse. And we don't just, he's not, God isn't just, you know, a cosmic vending machine that we go to or call when we're in an emergency so that he can give us what we need. Discipleship is about the student and the teacher, the Lord and the disciple. There's a relationship, and as they used to say, and even in the days before Christ, about a disciple being covered in the dust of his rabbi. Because the point of discipleship was to become like the rabbi, to talk like him, to do what he does, to think what he thinks, to feel what he feels, to you lose yourself and you become the rabbi. And so when the apostle Paul said to the Galatians, it is no longer I but Christ who lives in me, that's exactly what he was talking about. And so it's not just about listening, it's about doing the work and Jesus is the model. Indeed, Jesus insists and not merely suggests. We're not talking about an option, the discipleship A option and the discipleship B option. It's not a, it's not a, a, a cafeteria plan. Jesus insists that we imitate his model. Indeed, famously, Jesus said in John chapter 13, and we read there, beginning at verse 12, and when he, Jesus, washed their feet, and this is very, we, we don't get this because we don't wash people's feet. But people wore sandals and their feet got dirty. They were on dirt roads. And, um, and so foot washing was very much a part of the culture, but the people who washed your feet were slaves. Or you washed them yourselves. In fact, even within the traditional disciple-rabbi relationship, the disciples would, in, a, in that general, traditional relationship, the, the students would do all sorts of things for their rabbi, but they were never required to touch his feet because that was considered to be too undignified. Now we have God come in human flesh, Jesus, and he washes their feet. And when he had washed their feet, the work of a slave... He put on their armor garments and he resumed his place at the table and he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? They didn't understand. But he explains, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, your rabbi, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Because true disciples do what their master does. Verse 15, for I have given you an example. What's an example for? It's a model to follow. 
I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. You're not greater than me, Jesus is saying. You're not willing to do this to one another. Jesus does it for you and others. You're not, you're above it to do what he does. He'd wash the dishes. He's washed the sink. He'd cook the meat. He'd sweep the floors. He'd wash the toilets. He'd set up for the kids. He'd take down the tables. Are you kidding me? And enjoy it. <laughs> He'd count the money. There's all kinds of things to do. He'd serve the chalice. He'd preach the sermon. He'd help with the Sunday school kids. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you, and if you know these things, if you know them, blessed are you, you if you do them. If you know them, blessed are you if you do them. Indeed, the blessing is not merely in the hearing of what Jesus says or even in the knowing. He moves on because some people think that it's all just about knowing. It's like, well, that was interesting. What an interesting talk that was. Yes, we should love the world. And I don't love anybody in particular, but we should love the world. Rather, the blessing lies in the doing of what Jesus does. Dallas Willard wrote famously, Discipleship is learning from Jesus how to live my life as Jesus would live my life if he were me. <laughs> That's where this idea, you know, what would Jesus do? Of course, you have to know what Jesus did to get any idea what he might do if he was in your circumstance. And how do we know that Jesus would do step three <laughs> if he were you and me? Well, we know that he would do step three. We know that he would serve others lovingly because he did serve others lovingly and seemingly without any limits. In fact, he gave his entire life literally in service to others. And imitating Jesus' model of loving service to others is the mark of authenticating, or the authentic, I should say, the authenticating mark of a true disciple. And so in that same Gospel passage, John chapter 13, Jesus continues on later and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. When you do what I do, they will know that you belong to me. Let me ask you, are you washing anybody's feet? Or perhaps there's some ministries that you deliberately avoid or are loath to do because you count them to be too undignified, too menial, or too inconvenient, or perhaps too incongruent with your gifts and talents and status. But perhaps this is the point. When you and I believe as Jesus does, that service to others is a blessing rather than a burden. 
It's an opportunity <laughs> for me or for you to do what I know he would do. And there isn't anything that we wouldn't do in service to others in a joyful and loving, with a loving heart because we know that's exactly what he would do. And so that's the first thing. Serving others lovingly is the authenticating mark of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Secondly and finally, serving others lovingly helps us move beyond the values and the misunderstandings or misconceptions of cultural Christianity. Patrick Morley in his book, The Man in the Mirror, writes, Many of us are Christians in our thinking, but secular in our practice. We have become a generation of cultural Christians. Or as someone else has written, drawing the contrast between the cultural Christianity and true discipleship, that someone wrote, quote, cultural Christianity is about convenience. True discipleship, on the other hand, is about commitment, big commitments, commitments that make a difference, commitments that change everything, commitments that mark us as a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Truth be told, cultural Christianity is a false Christianity. Instead of being rooted in the vision of Christ and the values of the kingdom of God, cultural Christianity is rooted, rooted in a worldly vision. And the values that dominate the dominant culture on the surface, cultural Christianity may look and sound a lot like authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, but when you go deeper and when you get down to where the cultural Christian really ticks, what you find there are the same values and misconceptions that drive the culture at large. Interestingly, though, not surprisingly, cultural Christians are those who often complain about how hard it is to live the Christian life. And little wonder, because their real core beliefs and values aren't essentially Christian, but are instead essentially cultural and at odds with the vision of Jesus and the values of the kingdom of God. But committing ourselves, step three, work the steps, one, Two and three, committing ourselves to serving others lovingly helps us get beyond the values and misconceptions of the dom dominant culture. Now, one misconception of the dominant culture is the philosophy of consumerism. And committing ourselves to serving others lovingly helps us move beyond consumerism. Simply put, consumerism is the belief that the more I get, the happier I'll be. The cultural Christians will change the language a, a little bit, maybe changing the word happy to the word blessed, because that sounds more religious. But the belief and the philosophy that lies behind it is still the same, no matter what language you use. Interestingly enough, Jesus teaches quite the opposite, doesn't he? Namely, that the greater blessing is found not in the getting of things, but rather the giving of things. You know what, if you, it's almost like if you want to know the mind of God or the mind of Christ, just look at the world and then flip it on its head. Because in the world, you go up by going up. And if you have to step on people on the way, so be it. 
But Jesus says the way up is the way down. Jesus says the way you win is by losing. Jesus says you get happy not by getting but by giving. And so Jesus says that the greater blessing is found not in the getting but in the giving, contrary to the culture. So as Jesus is quoted in Acts chapter 20, famously, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But when consumerism is the dominant philosophy for those that are attending the church, the prevailing mindset is not, I'm coming to church to give, <laughs> but rather I'm coming to church to get, like everywhere else I go. I'm not, I'm not at the church to serve. <laughs> I put something in the plate, let them serve me. I'm at the church to be served. Which leads to another misconception about, or a misconception of cultural Christianity, and that is that it's better to be served than to serve. But committing ourselves to serving others lovingly helps us, move to, helps us to move beyond that misconception as well. Now, it's the culture that teaches, that teaches us that it's better to be served than to serve. Notwithstanding the occasional uh, service project, you know, and some celebrity gets an opportunity to say that he or she is giving back to the community. But the idea of service to others as a way of life is not an idea that originates in the culture. And cultural Christians, by and large, operate according to that dominant culture. Of course, Jesus teaches us just the opposite. Indeed, Jesus says that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that it is more blessed to serve than to be served. So what do you believe? Indeed, I wonder, have you ever volunteered, uh, you know, to serve at the church, and um, you got angry when you got there because when you got there, you ended up having to do more work than you bargained for because there were so few people who turned up for the project, I see some of you laughing. Even the shoulders are going up and down. And if you've ever felt that way, what does that experience tell you about what you really feel about serving? Is it really a blessing? Or maybe not. And still Jesus calls us to something greater, as we heard in the gospel reading today. In Matthew or Mark 10, excuse me, verse, beginning at verse 42. And Jesus called his disciples and said to them, You know that those who, consider, who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, he's talking about the major culture, the Romans, the Gentiles, you know that those who are considered rulers, you know, people of authority and power, they lord it over those over which they're placed, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Or Paul's famous words to the believers at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. He puts it in a different way. But the point is the same. He said, have this mind or this mindset, have this attitude amongst yourselves as believers together. 
which is a mindset that belongs to you because you're in Christ? Aren't you? <laughs> Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, was not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He never pulled rank. He never said, do you know who you're talking to? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, a doulos, it's servant here, the word is slave. One who serves others. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. <laughs> That's what it means to be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, that's the point. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, obedient to the fall, even, even obedient to the point of death on a cross, the worst possible death. He says yes. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way up is the way down. If you compare this with the Tower of Babel, what, in the 11th chapter, is it, of Genesis? I'm just drawing that. And they built a tower. And what was the point? To make a name for themselves. Do you remember their name? I don't remember any of their names. But they built a tower. Jesus emptied himself. And God exalted him. There is no losing in what we're talking about. When you do what he says and you serve as he served, God will exalt you. In fact, that's one of the things that Peter said. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. And when God exalts you, no one can take you down. So what to do? You want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, then I invite you to, to work the steps. Worship God regularly. Make that a commitment. Don't make it an option. Don't let worship be an option. Make it a commitment. Step two, grow together faithfully. When opportunities are given to you to study and pray in small group settings, do it. And step three, serve others lovingly. If you don't have a ministry here at Holy Cross, see me after. And we'll see if we can get that worked out. And next week we'll be unpacking step four, maturing in Christ continuously. Let us pray. Give us ears to hear your voice, but then also, Lord, give us the will to obey. The word obey and the words obey and obedience aren't very popular words in our culture, but they seem to be awfully central to the message you give us in the scriptures, both in the Old and New Testaments, and even in the life of Jesus. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so you highly exalted him. His name we remember, and his name is remembered all the world over.
Because when you exalt, Lord, no one can take you down. Help us to remember these things and live in such a way that leads to something like that, we pray. In his name, amen.